good message for us to be reminded of today. He is a way maker. Amen? Amen. Even in the, the midst of a mic dropping. You are good. You got it. You go ahead. No. Yeah. Yeah. We're just working all kinds of new things out here today. So uh, thank you for being part of the dress rehearsal. No, I'm just. Uh, so how are you? <laughs> oh, how's your week? How you doing? A little cray cray? Oh my gosh. It has been a crazy week, has it not? I mean, I don't know about you, but have you ever heard of like stress eating? I was pretty sure I was going to get to 270 before anybody else did. Just throwing that out there. You'll figure that out later. Um, but uh, I had one of our older folks uh, email me this week and said, I am staying up until midnight for the first time in years just to make sure that 2020 exits <laughs> on New Year's Eve. Going to stay up till 12 just to make sure that it is ushered out the door. What, what a week, what a year it has been. And um, to be honest, never had revelation on the radar when this year started. But having gone through everything that we have in these past few months, and going through Revelation like I have been kind of moved to do in preparation for the series, it has made me realize how intricately we may be involved in what is happening in this last book of the New Testament. It is incredible as you see sometimes things just kind of come to life that are in the book of Revelation, and, and, and years ago you'd have thought, man, how in the world is that possible? How is that going to work? There's no way, but it does, and it, it is. And so we are talking about Revelation, kind of a heavy place, I know, no doubt about it, but, you know, again, we look at Revelation, we're, we're kind of like, man, that's, that's crazy. That's some crazy stuff. But think of all the crazy that you've been a part of this year. I mean, it just seems, you know, again, nothing like what we have seen has been on our radar, but all of a sudden when it happens, it's like, man, that's crazy. And when you look at the book of Revelation and you see where we're at, you can't help but think, man, alive, we are moving closer and closer to the time when Christ could come back and take his church home to be with him and usher in everything that John is talking about. So John has written... Uh, some books, some letters already. The Gospel of John, which says believe. He has written the epistles of John, uh, John 1, 2, and 3, which actually say be sure. And now he has written Revelation, which is be ready. Be ready. And uh, the Revelation, of course, is from Jesus himself. Daniel chapter 12 verse 1 says, a time of such distress as has not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. Daniel, that's how he describes the tribulation period. A time of such distress. 
Nobody's ever experienced it. And we kind of read it and we're like, okay, that sounds a little bit out there. But yet again, think about where we've been for the past year. And we have the tendency, and understandably so, we have the tendency to kind of, you know, where has my life been? Where has my family been? But think about where our nation has been. Think about where the world has been. The world news. And how the entire world has been going through much of the same things we have as far as the pandemic is concerned. Never would have thought these things possible. And yet here it is, and here's what we are experiencing. And so now you look at the book of Revelation, and you're like, okay. If we can go through this, how much more does it take to get to this place? And what we find out is it really doesn't. A time of such distress as has not happened. From the, what's he saying? He, Daniel is saying, look, the tribulation period, you, you don't want any part of that. Because this is going to be far worse than anything that we have even experienced this year. So we began looking at these judgments of God. There is going to come a time when the holiness of God judges the world that has turned its back on him. And John gets this revelation and is being shown what some of these judgments are. The seven seals begin in chapter 7. you got a rider coming in on a white horse. That's the Antichrist. Okay? And just don't even worry about digging any deeper than what that says. Antichrist. He's one who sets himself up as the Christ, but he is anything but. And he will usher in a time of peace, promises peace, but the truth is, he is looking to wage war. The second seal is a red rider, and he brings warfare, killing a great number of people. The third seal is a rider on a black horse. Famine spreads to the ends of the earth. The fourth seal, in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 7, is death riding on a pale horse, and he wipes out a quarter of the earth's population. The fifth seal, those martyred for the cause of Christ are given a white robe. So there's actually a bit of an interruption here in that the judgment of God is now actually turned into the riches, the reward of God as he gives to those who have been killed for the cause of Christ a white robe to signify the sacrifice that they have been through. The sixth seal, verses 12 and 14, catastrophic natural events, rattling earthquakes, the sun disappears, the moon turns red, the mountains and islands disappear. Again, it's like what we have been experiencing. I don't think there's ever been a year, has there, uh, when we have had more tropical storms, hurricanes, more named storms than we've experienced this year. There have been earthquakes, one that just happened in Turkey a few weeks ago, and they rattle the world. And all this is, all these, some of these judgments are, is what we are already experiencing on steroids. And then there's kind of a break between the sixth and the seal, and the seventh seal. That, that sixth and seventh judgment that, that initially begins this tribulation. And God sets aside some people who are going to go out and give the world one more shot, one more chance. And 144,000 Jewish evangelists are sent out to evangelize, to share the gospel with the world. 
And millions of Gentiles and Jews respond because they see what's going on. They sense what's going on. They realize that this is crazy, that they cannot rely on themselves, and they put their faith and trust in God. And they seek and find salvation in Jesus Christ. Millions of people. And I had somebody, I had somebody come to me, actually, a couple weeks ago, as we were looking at Revelation, they said, so, Pastor Billy, people will have one more chance. <laughs> yes, but don't take it. Because you've already seen the judgment of God, right? And, and, and many people will perish in those first few months and years of this tribulation period. So don't take a chance on waiting. And I understand what they were saying. What they were saying is, but if Christ comes, if my loved one, yes, I understand that. I know where they were coming from. But here's the deal. We need to get a burr in our saddle. I got to think of a different phrase. All right, Eric, I need a different phrase than burr in the saddle. Can you help me out here? Burr in the saddle would be my father, okay? Dad would say burr in the saddle, and he probably picked it up from my grandfather who picked it up from his father who picked it up from somebody that rode a horse, all right? I've never ridden one. Um, we need to get, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, a spark in our shoe or something like that. We got to get a fire underneath us as a church that the message of the gospel is so important to share with a world that's lost without Christ. We don't want to wait. We don't want to put off. We don't want to hope. We want to know that the people that we love, that the people we have relationships with, come to Christ. Come to Christ. So these evangelists are sent out, and then seventh seal is broken, and it's silence. There's a period of silence, this brief, it, it's as if God hits the pause before the next set of judgments take place. Then in chapter 8, we've got seven trumpets. These trumpets hail more judgment from God. Chapter 8, verse 7, hail and fire rain down on the earth and wipe out a third of the plants. The second trumpet, a burning mountain falls into the sea and it turns a third of the ocean to blood because a third of all sea life dies. A third trumpet is blown and a star falls to earth poisoning a third of the water supply. A fourth trumpet is blown. In verse 12, a third of the moon and the stars and the sun darken. And then a fifth trumpet is blown in chapter 9, and, and these locusts with an incredible powerful sting. You know, oftentimes in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, there are plagues of locusts. There are locusts that come in and devour crops, and still today, I mean, did you, maybe not, because amidst all of the news, you know, the last thing you're looking for is the story on the locusts, but there was one, okay? Just a couple of weeks ago, locusts all of a sudden made the news amidst everything else and this swarm of locusts had come in and this goes back in the history of time for as far as can be remembered and as far as the Old Testament is concerned and, and, and we see these locusts that come in and, and John says, here it goes again. And then we go to verse 13 in Revelation chapter 9. So if you've got a Bible, go there. Revelation chapter 9. I want you to zero in on verse 13. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet. And I heard a voice speaking for the four horns of the gold altar that stands in the presence of God. 
And the voice said to the sixth angel who held the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great Euphrates River. Now, if you are wondering if there's significance about the Euphrates River, yes, there is. The Euphrates River is mentioned, not all the time as the Euphrates, but it's mentioned in Old Testament history. And in fact, many people feel that the Euphrates River in somehow, some way, was connected to the Garden of Eden. So these four angels have been preparing for this hour and this day, and John even says that. The four angels who'd been prepared for this hour and day and month and year. So there's a pinpointed date as to when this happens. We're turned loose to kill a third of all the people. I heard the size of their army, which was 200 million mounted troops. And in my vision, I saw the horses and the riders sitting on them. The riders wore armor that was fiery red and dark blue and yellow. The horses had head li heads like lions, and fire and smoke and burning sulfur billowed from the mouths of the horses. The power was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails had head like snakes with the power to injure people. But the people who did not die in these plagues still refused to repent. Still refused to repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. They continued to worship demons and idols made of gold and silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that can neither see nor hear nor walk, and they did not repent of their murders or their witchcraft or their sexual immorality or their thefts. 200 million troops riding horses. And again, you have to understand, could it be that these are some kind of uh, you know, incredible being and, and John was actually describing this type of animal? Sure. Is it possible that, it's, that it is symbolic? Is it possible that John is trying to figure out in his state 2,000 years ago with his cognitive mind, how do I describe this? He has no understanding of modern warfare. He has no understanding, for instance, of a tank. He just says that fire and sulfur and brit they came blowing out of the horse's mouths. And the tails would spit things like a snake. Well, trust me, you could find a tank that will do just that. In fact, I was going to show you a couple, and I just decided uh, it's, it's, I, I can't figure out exactly which one to show you. But there are so many of them where you can see it front and back. Warfare happening. And John trying to, is it possible that that's what he sees? Yeah, I, I think it is. I think it is. But that doesn't matter. You're like, what? It does no. Let me tell you what matters. The people refused to repent. They still refused to repent for their evil deeds and turn to God. They won't let go. They won't let go of their idols. They won't let go of their money. They won't let go of their possessions. They worship things. And, and John says these things, they don't, they, they don't walk or talk. He says these aren't relationships. These aren't 
people. They are worshiping material possessions. And they have put their faith and trust in those material possessions. And they just can't let go. They refuse to repent. They did not repent of their murders or their witchcraft. Now, if you've got a New International Version, it says magic arts, right? Magic arts. And you're like, what is that? I mean, I like the magicians on America's Got Talent. Yeah, he's not talking about guys that do card tricks, okay? Actually, the Greek word for what is placed in Revelation chapter 9 right there is pharmacia. Say that together, ready? Pharmacia. Okay, see? You just spoke Greek. Pharmacia. Hmm. Greek word. Wonder what word we have today that somewhat sounds like pharmacy, right? Pharmacy. Now, trust me, he's not talking about your blood pressure medicine. But what is he talking about? He's talking about drugs. They refuse to give up their pharmacia. And, and John's like, I, I don't even know how to describe this. Magic arts. <laughs> they refuse to give. No, no, no. I, I want that more than I want this. And even though it might cost me my life, listen to how Jesus puts this. It's, it's pretty interesting. First of all, in John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to a guy named Nicodemus, right? Okay? And he says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Say that with me. Ready? Born again. Why does he say that born again? Why does he use that term? I mean, we've heard that term. We use it in church. We use it in our invitation to ask people to be born again. Why? Well, if it's good enough for Jesus, let's just go ahead and take it that it's good enough for us. But why would he say that, especially to a grown man? Because what he's saying to Nicodemus is, you get to start over. You get a do-over. You get a new lease on life, which means you're going to change your ways. And if you're wondering if there's physical evidence of Nicodemus changing his ways, there is. Because we often hear about the tomb of Joseph that held the body of Jesus. But the truth is that one of the guys who helped him, and one of the guys who placed that body of Jesus, one of the guys who actually stood up front, while there were other Pharisees, you can be sure, within seeing eye of what was happening, it was Nicodemus. There was a change that occurred in his life. And listen... Jesus doesn't save us to leave us where we are. He wants us to take this new direction and allow it to change our lives. He wants us to change. Listen to what Jesus himself says in Luke chapter 7. Verse 31, he says, To what can I compare the people of this generation? How can I describe them? They are like children playing a game in the public square. They complained to their friends. We played wedding songs, and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs, and you didn't weep. 
For John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he's possessed by a demon. But the Son of Man, who's the Son of Man? Somebody help me. Jesus, okay, so he's talking about himself here. But he says, but I come, on the other hand, eating feasts, drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. What's he, what, what's he saying? You're, you could read that and you'd be like, I don't get it. What he's saying is, look, I tried kindness. Okay? I tried kindness. tried happiness. I tried to meet needs. People were hungry. I fed them by the thousands. People needed healing. I healed them. No matter when they came to me, what day they came to me, but the truth is, didn't make any difference. You didn't rejoice. You just got mad. That didn't make you happy. So, okay, let's try a sad song. All right? Any of you have a song that when it comes on, you just immediately start tearing up? I don't know. Just, I'm just asking. You know, you hear that and you're like, oh, my gosh. And you just, you know, your heart melts. I don't know what it is. Something that reminds you of, you know, the lost love of eighth grade. Whatever it might be. But you just kind of start. And then sometimes it's a worship song, right? Sometimes it's a, maybe it's those songs about heaven that get you to tear up. What's it doing? The, the song is moving you emotionally. And Jesus is saying, look, we tried happy songs, you didn't smile. We tried sad songs, you didn't cry. I just need you to do something. Do something. You're not moved by anything. And I think if he was talking to us, he would say, wouldn't he? The same exact thing. To what? Can I compare this generation? And is it possible he would say, you are moved. You do get moved. You get moved emotionally, but never by me. The things of God don't move you emotionally. But politics, that'll move you. Let the ref make a bad call, that'll move you. Let, let the replay, right? Let the replay stand up for the call that the ref made that was wrong in the first place. You could see it on the replay. Oh my gosh! We will get all up in arms, right? Sometimes some of you will get emotional when you drive, won't you? That'll, that'll stir your emotions just driving down the road. So many things stir our emotions, and there's, there's nothing, that's life, that's the way we're created. But yet the things of God don't move us at all. Your emotions have been stirred this week, I'll guarantee you, one way or another. Some people been dancing in the streets, some people been walking around with signs and all mad, you know, some people just pulled their shades down, turned the TV and all the lights off. Your emotions have been moved this week. And God says, what will it take 
for you to put your focus on me. I tried happy, and that hasn't worked, so I tried sad. Is that going to work? I'm not sure. I need something to move you. And what the Bible says in Revelation is he will try the judgment. He has had his time of grace and his time of mercy. And in fact, it continues. He sends out 144,000 evangelists to try to share with the world one more time. But he also sends the judgment of God. And what does it say? John says, and still the people were not moved. Didn't matter. Didn't change them. They went right back to their old ways. I don't know why I'm getting so worked up at 9 o'clock, J.D. That's just, it's interesting. I guess I'm trying to get something to move you. Emotion moves us, doesn't it? Emotion has the tendency to, to move us. And, and, and maybe, maybe that's, that's why it is so important to God that we understand the difference between relationship and religion. The people that God, the people that Jesus had the most trouble with were what? The religious people. Those that held on to the tradition. But the problem is religion doesn't move us emotionally. But relationship does. Right? Relationship moves us. We are sometimes moved to happiness. We are sometimes moved to Sadness. We are sometimes moved to anger. We are sometimes moved to compassion. We are sometimes moved to empathy. What does that? A relationship. And so Jesus in Luke says, look, I tried a happy song. I tried a sad song. Nothing moves you. I, I don't even know what to compare this generation to. You must be moved in your relationship with God. And here in Revelation, God has unleashed his judgment and it's not moving the people. Revelation chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Then I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillows. He was holding a little scroll, a smaller scroll. Of course, he has seen this huge scroll, so now he sees a smaller one, which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea. I guess I should move my right hand when I do that. And his left foot on the land. And he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when they spoke, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. What is the description that John is giving to us here of that person which is coming down? I believe that the description is of Jesus. All right? If you, again, read in the Old Testament, you will encounter times where there is the phrase, angel of the Lord, in the Old Testament. Joshua. 
getting ready to head into the promised land, pretty nerved up about what was happening because he'd been there before and he'd watched as the people decided, no, let's not do this. And then God had gotten a little tick, dork, miff, peeved and hadn't let him in. So now they've been around for 40, 40 years and now he has said to Joshua, it's time to go. And Joshua's a little nervous. And what happens? The angel of the Lord appeared to Joshua. Gideon was sitting under a tree. He was about to become a warrior about to become a judge of Israel that would defeat the enemy and bring in some time of peace for the Israelites. He's sitting under the tree, and the Bible says the angel of the Lord appeared to him. What is the angel of the Lord? I, I believe that the angel of the Lord is actually Jesus personified in the Old Testament. It's God in the flesh coming down and meeting with man. And so I believe that that is what is happening here. John is describing this as an angelic being, but his face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillows. He planted right foot on the sea and left foot on the land. Listen, there is no angel that has the authority to do that. What did Jesus say as he was being taken from his disciples up into heaven? He said, I have been given all authority. All authority, Jesus says, it comes from me. And now Jesus comes down and he plants one foot on the sea and one foot on the land and the lion of Judah roars. What's going on? There is, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. There's position there is proclamation, and there is possession. There is position, proclamation, and possession. The angel of the Lord. Did you know that in, like, Africa, if, if you were out in, 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 in the lands there where, where lions would be roaming around, you can hear a lion's roar five miles away. Isn't that something? Five miles away. Sometimes when, well, actually still living in Trenton, but when we lived on Grozeal especially, you take the dog out, you know, and all of a sudden you'd hear, and you're like, okay, that's no hound dog. You can hear the coyotes, and you're like, where in the world are they? You're just keeping your eyes peeled. We have some that prance around even in our, our backyard today, and you can hear them, but the problem is they can be actually quite a ways away. You think they're like 10 feet from you, and you're like, where, you know, the hair on your neck, the stands up and all it does that on the dog too but anyways they can hear it but you can hear those coyotes from you can hear a lion from five miles away that means the lion could be at let me think this through here's fort street you go to trenton eureka reek allen the lion could basically be at telegraph and if he roared you'd be able to hear him can i tell you something the lion that roars in this verse the world hears. And this thunderous message comes, and John's ready to write it down, but he's told no. Why? Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed to us belong to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. Deuteronomy, Old Testament and New Testament talk about the fact that, hey, you know what? God's not telling you everything. 
Why? Well, partly because we couldn't handle it, right? But he gives us enough. He has his secrets, but he also knows how to give enough clues to get us to search for the answers. Watch this now, verse 5. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and the land raised his right hand to heaven and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, the sea and all that is in it. And he said, there will be no more delay. But in the days when the angel, the seventh angel, is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants the prophets. The mystery. So what's he doing? He's dropping some clues, right? When, when uh, the girls were little, um, they used to watch this program called, and, and you know, did you ever like get into some of the programs that your kids watch? I mean, you know, let's be honest. You liked some of them. And then there were others like, yeah, that's really dumb. And they didn't like that one. You know, Kaylee used to watch some thing about, uh, Maddie and Braddy and they're the best of friends. Or I don't know what it was. It was something like that. They and Maddie and Braddy, they're the best of friends. Anyways, I didn't like that one. But Blue's Clues was another one that they watched. Blue's Clues, okay? And there's this guy named Steve, and he usually wore a rugby shirt with green stripes or something, you know? And, and Steve was accompanied by an animated dog, and dog's name was Blue. Yeah. And guess what color the dog was? Green, exactly. No, he was blue. Blue's Clues, what's going on? You'd go through this half hour with this dog, little paw prints going around, and the paw prints would lead you to what the dog was doing. And the mystery would be solved by the end of this half hour program. Blue's Clues, every day. Here we are following what this little dog is doing. Listen, every once in a while, God leaves us a blue, leaves us a blue paw print, okay? And he does that in Revelation. He says, look, before the seventh angel, I'm going to give you an answer. Look for the clues. He's not required to give us anything, but he gives us just enough to keep us looking. Verse 8, then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who's standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the scroll. He said, take it and eat it. It'll turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth, it will be sweet as honey. Okay? Can I, 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 I usually, I give illustrations about my family way too much, you know? And my wife actually said, look, you need to, you need to give it at least a month before you give illustrations and stories about your family. So I did that, but then actually... Early on, when Kaylee was living at home, you know, before college and everything, she, if she didn't get a story about her, she'd come and say, hey, what's going on? You talked about Whitney, you didn't say anything about me. I rarely have shared stories about my son-in-law, but I'm going to throw one in here right now, okay? And he's, he'll, he'll, he'll get after me later. But Eric is, I'm going to throw this out, Eric, I hope you're okay with it. He's lactose intolerant, okay? So he has to watch what he eats. There's quite a few of you, actually, that are like that. In fact, my, my nephew, Mason, is like that. There are times, now usually, you could take something, and it'll help, and you can eat whatever. But what happens if you don't have that pill? And they're sitting in front of you, is something really good. He knows 
okay, there's a pretty good chance this is going to turn my stomach, but it tastes so good. How can I say no? How can I turn it down? Sometimes, have you ever eaten too much? And you're like, okay, I got to stop. I mean, we're having one of those holidays coming up, right, Thanksgiving? I got to stop. I got to stop eating. But you're like, oh, man, but we're not going to have this kind of dinner again. We only have sweet potato casserole once a year. I got to have some more. Why? Because it's so good to the taste, even though you know it might turn your stomach. And here, here this angel of the Lord says to John, eat it. It's sweet to the taste. But the truth is, it's going to turn your stomach. Imagine how John has felt in chapters 1 and 2 and 3 and even 4 and 5 of Revelation. Unbelievable. This is unreal. But then all of a sudden he has seen and experienced the judgment of God and I'm sure that it has turned the insides of him. Revelation 11 verse 1. And we're moving to a conclusion here, don't worry. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because, it because it has been given to the Gentiles. Go and measure the temple of God. Where was the temple of God? The temple of God was in Jerusalem. The temple of God, they have figured out, is actually in a place where the, maybe the most holy of holy spots for Muslims is right now, the, the dome on the rock. So how in the world can they put the temple, I mean, oh man, there's going to be trouble. Jesus even talked, though, about the abomination of desolation. Daniel mentions the same phrase, the abomination of desolation. What's that? That is when this antichrist goes into the temple of God and sets himself up as God. Bad news. Abomination of desolation. How's that going to happen, though? Because there's no way they can build the temple. Oh, 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 wait a second. But exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? The Gentiles are anyone who is not Jewish. Okay? Anyone who is not an Israelite. Those are the Gentiles. The outer courts. Some geologists, some archaeologists have figured out that actually the temple of God was built inside the parameters of the dome on the rock. The dome on the rock is actually outside of where the original temple was built. And so God says what? Just leave the outer courts. Don't worry about that. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. I will appoint my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands. They stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours the enemies. These guys are superheroes, right? God gives to them some super power because he is going to allow them to prophesy and to preach and to share. Even in the midst of his judgment, they are sharing the gospel of Christ. Repent like John the Baptist, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, except here it's the voice of two 
crying in the city of Jerusalem. 1260 days. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters to blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Notice it doesn't give any names, does it? But is there any chance that God and little blue clue is dropping some paw prints? These two guys have the power to what? Shut up the rain. Any chance anybody did that in the Old Testament? Yeah, a guy by the name of Elijah. Anybody ever turn the water to blood? Yeah, there was this one guy, his name was Moses. And in fact, he brought down some pretty serious plagues. Is it possible that God has given us some blues clues to follow as to who these two might be? We don't know for sure. But it's interesting that he leaves some clues. It's also interesting that they're going to be there 1,260 days. 1,260 days. You want to go ahead and figure out what that is? That's three and a half years. That's seven years divided by two. It's the halfway point of the tribulation. They are there for three and a half years. For three and a half years. What happens? The Bible says that after that three and a half years, in verse 9, for three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies. What's happened? After three and a half years, they're killed. After three and a half years, they're killed. And the Bible, Revelation says, for three and a half days, people from every tribe, nation, tongue, going to look on their dead bodies. Can you imagine somebody preaching this 50 years ago, 100 years ago, trying to preach this text? How are they going to see it? How's that going to happen? And they would have been scratching their heads, not able to figure it out. But you live in a day and age in which it's extremely possible to happen, isn't it? Because you'll have every news, CNN, and the BBC, and Al Jazeera, all the networks will be there. And all the people will be able to see their dead bodies. But in verse 11 it says, After three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. When did that happen before? Genesis. The breath of God enters the body of Adam. It'll do so with these two. And they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them. They heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. Can you imagine? That would just be so incredible. And at that very hour, there was a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to God. The second woe has passed. The third woe is coming. Finally, they're like, okay, <laughs> uh, okay, this is a God thing. And repentance comes. And in verse 15, it says, The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. This is the mystery of God. This is what is finally revealed. This is what God has been planning since the beginning. Since the beginning. 
Man came. Man disobeyed. But in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God planted a seed. And from the seed there came a people, and from the people came a nation, and from the nation came a king, and from a king came priests, and from the priests came prophets. And from that line, from that line came Jesus. Prophet, priest, and king. And he has been moving in the hearts of people to set up his kingdom. And finally at that point, halfway through, we still got halfway to go in the tribulation. But halfway through, they're like, you know what? This is over. <laughs> it's done. The mystery has been revealed. God is God of all. And Jesus has come to set up his kingdom. And he will reign forever and ever and ever. Alleluia. 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 No wonder it's such a crescendo that ends the hallelujah chorus. Because he has come to set up his kingdom. This is the mystery of God. Do you want to know something? Even Pilate was smart enough to know something's going on here because he put king of the Jews above his head as he was crucified. The elders of heaven rejoice and worship because finally God is taking his rightful place. All right, we got to be done. You know what you might ask? What you might ask at times in your life, what you might ask maybe even coming out of this week is, you know what, why not just do this now, God? Why not just do it now? And there's two reasons. Number one, he is preparing the faithful to reign with him. And he is giving the faithless a chance to put their trust in him. He's preparing the faithful to reign with him. Look, we need to be preparing for our place in God's kingdom. Why do we have such a hard time walking around as if we were sons and daughters of the king of kings. But we do. We do. Sometimes the circumstances of life, sometimes the circumstances of our own day, man, they can weigh us down. They can burden us. And we need to understand that what revelation, revelation didn't come to scare you. Revelation came to prepare you. Prepare you to reign. Can you imagine? Prophet, priest, king, that's Jesus. And we will reign with him forever and ever. At the same time, he waits. He pauses. Why? Peter said it so well. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Jesus gave the responsibility of sharing that to his disciples. And guess what? If you are a follower of Jesus, do you want to know what that makes you? His? Go ahead, say it. Oh, you don't want to say it, do you? But go ahead and say it anyhow. What is it? Yeah. Yeah, you're a disciple. You're a disciple. I think it would be amazing, and I know I, know I got I to gotta quit here. 
I just wonder what would happen if, just not everything. I mean, I, 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 I'm, a, I'm kind of a political junkie, so I mean, I've been watching the news and all that kind of thing. But I've been overwhelmed at times by the totals, and I, I just wonder, just, you know, let's, let's go ahead and, I mean, keep, we live in America, and so, you know, you, you want to be part of the process, that's awesome. But, but what would happen if just 25% of all the money that was spent on politics in the past two years, what if 25% was, was somehow spent on changing the world for Christ? What if 25% of our social media, not all of it, but just 25% of our social media was spent on loving others the way that Christ loved the world and the way that he commanded? wonder what, what would happen. They spent hundreds of millions of dollars on a Senate campaign. And God bless them. And maybe I'm just a little jealous because I don't have hundreds of millions of dollars to spend, but I just sometimes wonder if, if we were just to spend a fraction of that on changing the world. Over and over in Revelation, you read the time is short. Time is short. And we look at it and we're like, hey, come on, man. John wrote that. Thousands of years ago. Yeah, but God's the one who told him to. And every day that we move, we move closer to the time when it happened. We live in a time of the church. We live in an age of God's grace. Let's take it and share it with a world that so desperately needs him. Bow your heads together with me in prayer. Father, May we take to heart the words of revelation that apply to us. And actually, Lord, probably more of it applies to us than what we would give credence or credit to. But Lord, may we find ourselves realizing that no matter how much time we have, every day that goes by is one day less of an opportunity to share Christ to be your light, to be your love. And Lord, may that, as your church, be the desire of our heart. May we turn our focus to you. And may because of it, Lord, change happen in our lives, in our world. We give you thanks, Lord, for meeting with us here in this place. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.